friends and fam, thank you guys so much for joining. Every day is a Saturday with your host, me, myself, and I, Brian Roof. Hey, guys, another great show, another great guest, and we're bringing back someone that we've had here before. My next guest is no stranger to the show. He is here for a round two. He is a Marine Corps vet who served his country proudly for 10 years and got out and became involved in law enforcement. After facing adversity, he lost everything that he once had. He was he has a very inspirational story and has really gone through some extremely rough times and found himself hitting rock bottom. Now Reggie is a life coach and is involved in becoming a positive influence to the world. Let's bring back Reggie. All What's right, going Brandon, on, brother? Thank you, thank you. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, hey, good evening, man. Hey. I'm glad to have you back again, brother. I think that uh, your story is uh, very inspirational. It definitely shows, you know, true on uh, my audio side, man. You're the number one uh, episode, and uh, a lot of people uh, obviously loved your story. So um, I thought we'd bring you back and kind of dive a little bit further into it and, you know, kind of talk about, you know, how you became homeless, you know, how it was that, you know, during that time being homeless, how you were able to get yourself out of being homeless and, you know, kind of where you're, you're at in your, your life today. All right. All right. Um, where, where, where do you want me to begin? Uh, I, I'm very happy that I'm in a, in a good space right now. Um, I'm currently attending, um, transformational trainings and, uh, being able to have awareness and speak from a perspective uh, is very important. Yeah, I've um, had some recent breakthroughs, so um, I guess I could start with uh, what city and um, and go from there. Uh, my circumstances, as it started to decline, I was going through a divorce. Um, at the time, I was a police officer in the um, city of Pomona. I was um, I was going through a separation. The divorce was uh, coming close to uh, being finalized. And um, that year, I had gone through some transformational classes so that I can uh, get through it. You know, the, uh, the hardship that someone goes through when they're facing divorce as it's uh, as it's approaching I was going through a lot of a lot of stress so um, I was already living um, in a different spot I had moved from uh, from home to a fellow SWAT member's house renting a room <coughs> and um, I felt uncomfortable <coughs> excuse me <coughs> so I ended up getting like a, uh, like a fifth wheel, uh, a toy hauler, which had enough beds and um, enough room so that if my children came to visit uh, during this separation process, you know, I, I, I would have room for them. Um, but being in a, in a, in a trailer, uh, it wasn't what I thought it was. I mean, yeah, it saved me money and it helped me get me through, but I knew I needed to get into an apartment and um, so that the, uh, it would satisfy whatever the courts, um, you know, during divorce or whatever. I, I already had anticipated that. Um, 
being that I was still a police officer and now facing all the legal, um, everything that the judge was asking for, I started to, I started to feel it. Um, I was working at a tire shop, you know, to make ends meet. Um, I had my overhead and I was still trying to, uh, you know, provide whatever I could. Um, it got to the point to where uh, working at the tire shop wasn't enough. So I started flipping cars and flipping cars wasn't enough. And slowly my bank accounts were depleting. And um, with, <laughs> with my mindset, my mindset was starting to go, you know, I was working, you know, side jobs here and there at uh, the local car dealerships, uh, doing hard labor, uh, trying to sell antique furniture, because I, I was doing that too. I was collecting wooden furniture that, uh, like Queen Elizabeth furniture. I mean, good quality uh, desk or um, home furniture, sand it down. I I put the varnish on it. I try to sell it to people who, um, who saw the value in it. Uh, money started getting really, really tight. I started getting really creative, um, still working on the force. And after I was working, I was still going out there um, trying to sell office equipment, <laughs> massage tables, uh, working at, at the local nightclubs as a security guard, as a bodyguard for an, the owner of the club or um, I started, I started really seeing my walls starting to close in. The expenses um, were the same. Uh, I think I started to incur at that time more credit card debt loans uh, that I had taken out so that I could make the divorce process as smooth as I could possibly make it. And uh, that really put me under, I mean, um, the loans that I took out so that I could uh, lessen the, the impact really put me under. And so now I had Navy Fed coming after, <laughs> you know, whatever I had um, requested. I, uh, at the time, was so confident, oh, I'm going to get overtime and I'll be able to pay certain things back. And no, uh, um, because of how I was overextending myself, I started to lose um, certain billets in the police department because um, I, I held a lot of billets in the police department. And, you know, one tardiness here ended up getting me a write-up or... Um, you know, it, it was like quicksand, one thing after another. So um, as each billet slowly, you know, they took me off the task force, put me back on patrol. Um, they did that because I was in a, in, a, in a car accident. And I was in a car accident because I was fatigued, um, working long hours and... Um, the vehicle belonging to the task force. I uh, taking extra shifts and stuff like that. Yeah. Taking, well, at the time I was on the uh, task force doing uh, <laughs> undercover work, surveillance 
uh, work. So I wasn't taking home a patrol car. I was taking home a undercover vehicle. And so wherever I was in the state, after whatever investigation we were doing, um, I was coming straight back to, uh, at the time, in Rancho Cucamonga, where I was renting a room. But, you know, I would go do surveillance or undercover work, get off and still do my hustle and try to try to work the little side jobs that I had, you know, doing network marketing. I, at the time I was uh, getting my, I just got introduced to ACN. It's a network marketing company back then. Um, and, you know, selling electronics um, services for phone security services. And um, I, <laughs> I think I went to more meetings and held more meetings than I sold anything. And um, it, it did nothing but um, take more time out of my hands. Um, I, I gave too much energy to it. And my and it, were there successful people in that? Yes, there were. But my I think my headspace was somewhere else. All I wanted to do was just survive. And so uh, looking back at that I probably showed up in front of people like, hey, I, I need you to buy this. And uh, because it's what I'm doing to <laughs> survive my circumstances. And uh, that wasn't helping me uh, create a residual income or uh, helping me with my circumstances whatsoever. Um, as things started to uh, come down these walls, here I am now looking at my rent. Rent was like two grand or 2,200 or something like that for one person. I got a two bedroom so that, um, you know, my kids can come visit. They came um, here and there, uh, but I, I overextended myself. I, I got a two bedroom apartment so that I can accommodate my kids. And um, I didn't see that in the future, I was I was gonna be hurting like I, I was and uh, you know I've heard others who've been through divorce they say you know cheaper to keep her you're you're gonna struggle and um, I I heard that and I certainly felt it uh, I also believe that um, it was important that she was happy as well and my children didn't um, they weren't raised in a uh, childhood seeing that marriage could be uh, this way or marriage could be this way and it certainly wasn't supposed to be the way it was uh, arguing all the time or uh, one of us not happy that's certainly what I didn't want my kids um, to think marriage was or family was um, but everything happens the way it's supposed to my kids are very successful happy she's successful and happy um, I'm on the up and up and now creating my happy life. And so right. um, I'm here sharing a perspective on uh, it's possible. I, I'll be honest. I didn't think it was possible for me to be homeless. It'll never happen to me. I got my shit straight. Uh, I got resources. I got friends. Uh, and some of them still here uh, till this day, but as I was going through all that. I was um, 
facing allegations um, that <laughs> right off the bat just uh, ruined my reputation, my credibility. And I, I haven't even uh, been able to um, defend myself in court, right? Uh, it actually took two and a half years to clear myself from that allegation. And uh, the allegation being so serious that uh, two attempts on my life was made. I had, because um, I, I was one of, I think, eight police officers that lived in the city. Um, it's like a it's like a common thing. If you're a police officer, you don't live in the city that you're working. And right. I, I felt I had a different opinion about that uh, after um, I got divorced. And so I was like, uh, I might as well live in the city. And so uh, I did. And there was a certain point to where that became very dangerous for me. I had my fellow or <laughs> who I thought were fellow police officers at the time pulling me over, pointing their guns at me. Uh, all the vehicles that I had owned or was selling because I would buy a vehicle, restore it, and then sell it. That's how I was paying my bills. Um, in addition to what I was already doing as a police officer, I was trying to just make it. And uh, when I brought a vehicle home, I found a ticket on another car. You know, uh, when I got rid of a car, I found a ticket on my my trailer. When I <laughs> luckily I, I finally sold the. Um, the trailer, the toy hauler, because no matter where I parked it, whether it was Pomona, Montclair, Laverne, uh, it was like everybody knew uh, what vehicles I had and where I was going. I was getting pulled over. There was a police officer that took me out of my car, searched everything, pulled the panels out. Um, just everything that was inside was now outside. And um, while I was sitting on the curb, was asking me questions, even swung his flashlight back of my head and was like, hey, I asked you something. <laughs> and uh, whether he was trying to provoke something or not, it, it, it broke my heart that a police officer that I knew hit me in the back of the head with the flashlight as if he already knew something I didn't or he had already judged me, you know, and uh, that was going on and on and on. And I was like, I, I'm, I need to get out of this city. There was one time I came home from doing, because I was doing demolition at night. <laughs> I was uh, doing demolition in Laverne. And um, at that time I had three, three, maybe four Broncos. But the, the four by four I was driving was this huge 1979 International Scout Traveler. And you could hear this thing from <laughs> two blocks away. You could hear the tires. You could, I was looking down at SUVs. Uh, that's how big this thing was. And uh, they, <laughs> they surrounded me, like maybe five police cars, to include a sergeant that I was really good friends with before. Um, all of them had their guns pointed at me, said I was in violation of a, excuse me, in violation of a restraining order uh, in relation to the uh, case that I was on trial for. Mm. Um, 
<laughs> and they were very serious about because I was shocked. Like, hey, you know, what are you doing? Hey, Sarge, are you seriously pointing a gun at me? If you move again, I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> I was like, I have trained you. I trained you. I trained you. And you're pointing your gun at me? Like, what's this about? Like, you're in violation of a restraining order. I, what are you talking about? They handcuffed me and uh, they said, well, you're in your white Bronco. Uh, and you went by the victim's house. I, said, I just came from, you know, Laverne doing demolition and I have receipts to prove it. And uh, what vehicle did they say I was in? It was your white Bronco with a red stripe. I never had a white Bronco with a red stripe. And they gave a description that it was a Hispanic male with a shaved head. At that time, my hair was like, <laughs> looked like a faux hawk. And uh, I was like, I don't have a shaved head, nor do I have a Bronco with a red stripe on it. That's a suburban. A suburban being, uh, you know, a little bit longer than the 1987 Broncos. I had collected uh, three of them. And I said, I, I sold that Bronco. Um, a couple of months before this incident and uh, was able to show in court the uh, bill of sale. And uh, all I got was a, oops. <laughs> so he was telling the truth. Okay, well, this is dismissed. And I almost got shot. I almost got shot over it. And um, so things like that were happening. Left and right. It didn't matter what city. I think the furthest west uh up to like maybe west covina after west covina i was i wasn't really getting fucked with uh as i went east i think that kind of stopped around font no fontana fontana would fuck with me too uh i don't know if everyone was in cahoots but the further east i went uh, i got very little contact with police officers that um at the time, I felt like had it out for me. Um, I was uh, now at this point me, in time. You're, you're at this point in time. You're still employed with them at this point at this time, right? Or are you not employed with them? Um, you're just being targeted. Let's see. So there was a time where I I finally went into internal affairs uh, to face these allegations and. I had three, three attorneys from the association that represent rep, were there to represent me, and um, <laughs> and in internal affairs was my sergeant and uh, another sergeant who actually recruited me to the police department, and the other one who was my SWAT sergeant who was at the location when he. Um, was taking was taking <laughs> the victim statement. Uh, we later found out he wrote the statement. Um, anyways, I was surprised that he didn't have my back, nor did the other sergeant during this um, process. They immediately started, and um, I I've never been in, in internal affairs. I've never been. Uh, I've never had my integrity questioned. Um, I still have all the awards, all the, um, you know, 
all the recognition, all the way from the Senate to you know, the, the governor to um, everyone who recognized me for what I've done for the police department, the city, um, to include the youth uh, who were involved with the Pomona Police Department, the, uh, the Explorer program. We had, <laughs> within the last four years, uh, I was participating as a, uh, a police officer who was in charge of that program. Um, we made it to number one in the nation, participating law enforcement agencies, uh, created the Explorer Post Police Academy. I wrote the entire curriculum, sent it up north, got it. So um, I'm not really here to say all my accomplishments for what I did to that police department, but even after uh, the 10 years of Marine Corps um, success, the up to this point, seven years of uh, my dedicated service to the city, the police department, and all the extracurricular uh, billets that I was <laughs> Koga instructor, baton instructor, uh, bike patrol, um, SWAT, SWAT sniper. I was on the task FBI gang task force. Um, I was helping out the chief with, you know, certain expenditures and uh, how we were doing allocations for, you know, where funding should be, projects for the police department. Um, being as junior as I was, with my hands on so many things in the department, my integrity was still questioned. Um, and that day when I walked into internal affairs was, was the turning point. Um, I didn't feel like the association had my back. My SWAT sergeant didn't have my back. Um, the sergeant who who actually recruited me in and um, all of which I had some personal ties with, except for the association. But um, I went down the line. They told me what I had to face. You either um, look at this, sign it, We'll tell the family, you know, we won't do the investigation. You sign this, they'll get a hush-hush check, and um, you can go find employment somewhere else. I was like, I'm ad-libbing. I'm, you know, it was, I'm like, excuse me? Like, first off, those are allegations. Um, and you're already talking to me like I did something wrong. And uh, so I could already sense that my my heart rate is elevating because I could see where it was going real quick. I've seen other police officers in our in that department. If they didn't want a certain police officer, a set of circumstances would um, have been created. And um, that police officer would in time end up either walking out or getting fired, uh, one or the other. And so, the circumstances that they created for me in internal affairs was, um, I think, uh, how can I say this? Presented in a way so that I could either uh, lose my mind, um, resign like I did, or um, 
clam up like someone who's guilty. And, um, you know, I, I think they were expecting something else. Uh, they were they were not expecting what I said and what I did because uh, a guilty person re would react a certain way. And um, of course, here I am feeling very insulted that my integrity was now compromised uh, because of this allegation that you believe this family over me. And uh, um, knowing that this family already has history for the city, uh, it it just blew my mind that they, uh, internal affairs, I can't speak, I can't say that the entire department is corrupt, but um, I do know that the, there were a handful of um, officers involved in that that were not um, ethical, I could say corrupt, they weren't. They they weren't ethical. They weren't. Um, they weren't doing the right thing. So, after hearing what they said, I decided to take my badge off, and uh, I took a piece of paper and I resigned. I resigned due to personal reasons. Um, I asked each each of the attorneys that were there, "What what do you think I should do? Uh, we recommend you." you follow your guidance from your sergeant and say, okay, well, you're fired. Next guy said, what do you think I should do? Should I challenge it? Should I allow them to, you know, waive the investigation so that the police here, here's what it is. They didn't want any um, publicity. Well, if you, if you choose to go through with the investigation, you're going to bring publicity, not only to the city, but to the police department. At the time, I was one of six police officers that were um, green light, that had the green light from the Mexican mafia uh, because I was one of the six police officers during the last how many years involved in um, uh, incidents, shootings, uh, drug busts, large gang uh, arrests, you know, and... Um, so someone from, you know, and I, that organization, I shouldn't have said Mexican Mafia, but uh, there were gang members and gang members related to the Mafia and um, who insisted, and maybe I can fix this because uh, there's etiquette. There's etiquette in the Mexican Mafia. You don't try to take a cop's life unless you have permission from all um, all the shot callers and this person, this person, uh, was a gang member in, in the city of Pomona also, um, recognized as one of the uh, Mexican mafia leaders and insisted that they were going to take matters into their own hands because of a death of their child. Understandable. And here we are like, this is, this is what we, you know, this is our career. This is our job. We go out, arrest um, bad guys. And um, fortunately, um, someone's child was um, was shot and someone went to jail for, for, you know, guns. Someone went to jail for drugs and someone lost a large amount of money because of an arrest. And so at that time, during those last three years, 
a lot of, um, I was involved in a lot of major and uh, huge bust in, in that city. And um, my life was threatened. And that was the beginning of that. Um, what made it very difficult after I resigned, uh, now I was facing a police department who had it out for me. Neighboring police departments, you could call it my imagination, but uh, I was just trying to stay low and um, get this trial, you know, out of my way so that I can continue uh, becoming a police officer elsewhere. I was not going to be a police officer and go through uh, a trial at the same time because I knew better than that. Um, so I ended up taking out my retirement, <laughs> depleting everything that I had invested, uh, what I had prepared for a 30-year career in law enforcement and had to take everything out so I can pay whatever fees uh, for the attorney who was going to defend me uh, to pay the fees that I can pay for uh, the divorce in San Bernardino, the, the debt that I had incurred for the loans that was supposed to lessen the blow for the divorce. And now um, here, just one after another, after another, uh, mind you, one of my best friends, uh, Officer Sean Diamond, who was, you know, a breacher at the time with me, he he noticed, you know, during all this, he's like, hey, uh, you're, you're going through a lot, you know, go, go, go take a vacation and just handle what you have to. And this was during when the divorce was going on. And... <laughs> We were both breachers at the time. Uh, you know, I was also the sniper, yes, but um, he, and I, I can't blame myself for this, but he said, don't worry, if anything happens, you know, I'll take your spot or whatever. And he ended up getting killed in the line of duty uh, during a breach. And, um, you know, he was ramming the door. The inside door came out, but he couldn't, he couldn't negotiate the, uh, the security door, the metal security door, and he was a victim of a shotgun um, blast. And um, he was killed in the line of duty. Yeah. So I do remember you telling us in that in the first uh, first time uh, we interviewed. That's unfortunate, man. Yeah. Um, I. <laughs> that was one of several things his death he was um he was my best friend we were on the streets um we saw each other every day our our contact even even riding motorcycles or just everything we did and for him hey it, it all boils down to all the things that i did with him you know we did for each other and then he says hey go Go take a vacation, man. Don't worry about the SWAT team. We got it. Um, don't worry about your position. I, I, at the time, I used to think, damn, had I not taken care of my divorce and all the things that I was going through, what if I was the one who breached that door and I got shot and was killed in the line of duty? 
So not only was I going through my financial hardship, the court stuff, the allegation, and um, you know, I had depleted my savings, my retirement money. I started selling my assets, my vehicles. Um, I had already told the apartment I can't pay. And when I finally did, I was already on the second month of not paying. And um, just one after another, quicksand. I was in quicksand and uh, I was I was looking for uh, representation and every attorney I went to within the area was in cahoots with everyone who was trying to prosecute me. And uh, I saw that real quick. I ended up using whatever I had in retirement to find uh, an attorney out way out in, in a different um, <laughs> zip code. And um, she did my, my intake and said, someone is trying to teach you a lesson or someone's trying to, someone's trying to deliver a message through you. And um, you piss someone off basically. This family appears to be, uh, because she heard what my relationship with this family was before. She heard my story and read what she had seen in the system and said, it appears that someone threatened this family. That's what it appears like, it's my opinion, uh, but it doesn't make sense that a year before this allegation, you saved their daughter's life from a burglary that was happening at their home. Uh, and the, the what the suspect ended up being her uncle, right? Uh, during that entire year, this family would invite me over for barbecues, off-roading, uh, please, uh, you know, begging me to do perimeter checks. And yeah, if you can shine the light in the yard, this, that. And then all of a sudden, one day, uh, while I'm trying to sell a Bronco for their daughter's birthday, uh, they made these allegations and that, that really broke my heart. Um, I was going through other things. Um, <laughs> and just to be brief about it. So not only am I going through not seeing my kids, not having a stable home, I'm about to lose my home, the apartment, uh, which is in this city. I had two storages. I'm gonna lose the storage units, which had everything I owned. Um, my, my, my friend, my partner, my SWAT partner, his life being taken because he was trying to help me. And then me thinking, damn, what if, what if that was me? So, you know, my shit is, <laughs> my mind, my heart, uh, my perception of what is now supposed to be, oh, this is a good, you know, <laughs> This is supposed to be a good situation for you, uh, which turned completely bad in all the areas of my life. So was I thinking clearly? I was not. I was not thinking clearly. Everywhere I went, I had law enforcement, um, their opinions of me and how they were, you know, using excessive force. I had a certain um, gang or gangs and larger uh, organizations like the mafia and the cartel making threats on my life because of the allegations that were made on me. And 
money, having time to be able to go work, not being able to work because my mind was on all of this that I had just explained. Um, I was missing, I, I finally missed the, uh, what do you call it? The, the eviction and I got locked out. Everything in there I lost. Um, I was a I was arrested for the restraining order violation, which wasn't me. I was going through this trial and I knew, okay, it's time to get out of this city because it's unsafe for me. I had gang members drive up as I was exiting my vehicle, like, oh, this is where you live. Said, yeah, this is where I live. I live in your city. What would it look like if other gang members saw you being a gang member leaving my apartment? parking lot, you know, like that doesn't look good for you. And so um, I had I had that happening. Uh, leaving Pomona and trying to find somewhere else to live safely was where um, it started going down because I didn't have anywhere. I tried to go back home to my ex-wife and they had already moved somewhere. I did not know where they moved to at the time. Um, I know it, uh, eventually I found out they moved to Arizona and I wasn't able to leave the state because of these allegations. They said, you can't leave the state. You need to be somewhere, you know, we can get a hold of you. And, um, so I had to, I had to be within, um, a certain notification time to respond to whether it was internal affairs or a judge or whoever was doing this investigation. And so I stayed in the area. Uh, living in the trailer park and eventually I was living in my car with my dog. I had the dog in the backseat and I was in my car. That didn't last long because everywhere I parked and I did not know <laughs> as big as a city could be or cities can be, there are certain places you can't park and sleep. And uh, whether you're at a gas station or I mean, the safest place I knew. They hit you was, up for uh, loitering and shit like that. Yeah, like. Yeah. Even that gas station, like, hey, you gotta leave. You've been here for an hour. Yeah. I said, well, I don't have anywhere else to go. Can't be at a park because the park is closed. Can't be in certain, um, certain parking lots because it's private property and you got security, you know, during the thing, and you can't stay there. You can't park in front of someone's house because <laughs> someone tapping on on my window with the. Uh, a pistol or a shotgun, like, what are you doing in front of my house? Like, I just, look, I just want to sleep. All. And then, you know, pointing the gun in my face, no problem. I'll go somewhere else. All the while now, uh, remember, I'm trying to do network marketing um, and credit repair. I was doing credit repair at the time as well because this, my same, my same, or my upline was doing credit repair and network marketing. So, and he was paying me, paying me enough that I was able to feed myself, put gas. And it got to the point to where that's all, that's all I could do is make enough that I could eat, put gas, put my head down somewhere and then go back and continue to work for him. And I was like, that's not going to work because I, I need a, I need to create more income to pay for the divorce, for everything else and find a home and not live in this car anymore. And mind you, I still need to pay for the car payment. And so that's starting to rack up. 
everything's starting to rack up. I'm starting to get buried. Um, <laughs> and I just thought of this. The year, no, the last two years I was in um, in service at the police department, I had claimed exempt, like <laughs> exempt me from taxes because I need every single penny and I'll, I'll pay it back, you know, later because there's plenty of overtime, which I, I didn't, I didn't foresee resigning. Uh, yeah. Um, so I incurred and I'm paying till this day, I'm paying all those taxes back. That is what has been keeping me from excelling and succeeding. Um, I probably won't be able to buy a house until I pay off what's left and have about 30,000 ish, um, 30,000 left to pay off. And, um, Man, I'm almost there though. That's good, um, man. I ended up going as far as Palm Springs back to my hometown. Um, as soon as I got there, I I had to go back to my my mom's and um, started reconnecting with everybody that I I knew. Uh, I grew up in Palm Springs. Um, the reason why I left Palm Springs because I was uh, I was a delinquent. <laughs> I was up to no good when I was, you know, in my teens. Uh, I was tagging and um, I was I was into drugs back then, and uh, so as I got there, me being a resourceful person that I was trained to become, uh, when in Rome. You, you do what everyone in Rome is doing, right? And so when I, I'm going to back up just a little bit. When I was under or working for the FBI task force, I was doing some uh, undercover investigations that had to deal with uh, narcotic sales and purchases and gun sales and purchases. So I was familiar with selling drugs and guns when I was a kid. I was recognized, awarded, decorated for it as a police officer, uh, an agent. Um, and it, it was applauded. Like, hey, good job. You did drug bus. You did that. You know, you, you're, um, <laughs> you're doing outstanding you know, doing this investigation, that, and this, all having to do with guns, drugs, gangs, mafia, cartel. And then here I am now facing life uh, where I'm struggling and what is available to me is a very lifestyle that I had been um, enforcing laws. And, you know, the last 18 years of my life was putting people in jail for drugs, guns, you name it, gang activity. And now here I'm facing the opportunity to provide a, a way to feed myself, to uh, create some money. I had some well-known people who were shot callers offering me large amounts of narcotics to just provide a life for myself. Here, <laughs> take take all these guns and do something with it. It's available to you. Come on, man. You're not a police officer anymore. Uh, 
<laughs> you have police officers trying to kill you, you know, you have you have people trying to kill you for think, something you didn't do. And here I am. Um, there, it, it took a lot of resistance and uh, I eventually ended up on the streets. The, the car that I had, uh, I, I could see, okay, well, if I let this go, then I will never, ever get a car. I will never, ever get an apartment. Um, the apartment, I did everything I could to say, hey, I can't, I can't pay the apartment. I'm going to, I'm going to surrender it. I, I can't anymore. And so they did whatever they had to, to show. I did my due diligence to um, let that apartment go uh, as professionally or, uh, you know, morally, like I, I tried to save it. Every loan, every credit card that I contacted, every institution that I owed money to. Um, and now here I'm in this Lincoln, Lincoln LS and uh, I called the dealership. I said, I can't afford to pay you anymore. I know I can't. Uh, I'll be here at this location, send the tow truck. Uh, nothing's wrong with it. It's actually in better condition than you sold it to me. Uh, maybe I can buy it back, but I'd rather you just come take it with the keys in this great condition and just call it a loss or, you know, but I can't pay it anymore. I, I that person who sold me that car was, uh, ended up being a, a friend of mine. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll pick it up. What are you going to do? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I'm going to leave all my stuff here at my, my mom's and, um, you know, I'm going to put some stuff together. I'm going to try to figure it out. Uh, I'll go find a car. You know, I was flipping cars, so maybe I'll find another car. And um, some people already made some offers for jobs. Majority of them were illegal. Like, here, just sell this, sell this drug for me, sell that. And I, I was very resistant. I was like, oh, I can't be. Yeah, I did that. I did that as a police officer, but I couldn't believe I was about to do it um, to survive. And um, I was in and out of my, my, my mom's apartment. I put her in danger, right? I put her in danger. Um, at the time, I was being really, really selfish. I didn't have anywhere else to go. I was, I was safe there. She's not going to tell me to leave, right? She's not going to tell me to leave. But one day, uh, someone from, someone powerful from, one of the uh, criminal organizations, I'm not gonna put them on blast, but they said, hey, <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing on my mom's phone? My mom's cell phone, I got a call and it was my mom. When I answered, uh, I heard a male voice. I'm like, that's not my dad, that's not my brother. And so this voice on the other end of my mom's cell phone, he's like, where are you? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm out. Like, what are you doing? Did, did my mom lose a phone outside? No, he's like, I'm, I'm sitting right here at your dining, your mom's dining table. So someone was sitting in my mom's dining table. Um, and now talking to me, well, I'm about to leave. Don't worry about it. I'm about to leave. I thought you were here. You know, this is, and I'm like, my blood pressure is rising. It's rising right now as I think of it. 
And I'm like, wow, that's not right. You don't go to, and, and there's etiquette. You don't, children, women, you know, family have nothing to do with whatever's going on in the streets, but this person was sending a message. And uh, that was one of, one of three visits that I got. And I was like, holy cow. The second time someone paid me a visit, uh, they said it was after someone made an attempt on my life. Uh, I looked like, you remember that movie Mask? Where yeah. he had, what is it, elephantitis or whatever. Um, I had some friends or street friends uh, take me around because I had no uh, no gas in my car at the time. Hey, I need gas. Okay, we'll take you. They brought me back. And while I was um, exiting the vehicle, they just... They, uh, 30 minutes maybe, just beat me down and um, crawled over to my mom's door. My mom opened the door and was like, my son's not here. I'm like, mom, let me in. She didn't recognize me. Um, Anyways, it got so dangerous. Now I, I had this organization saying, tell you what, no one's going to, no one's going to fuck with you. No one's going to try to kill you. No, until that, that judge says guilty or not guilty, then that's, will that's when we'll uh, determine if you, if you die or not. Um, and so I guess everyone in this valley was told, uh, you know, leave him alone or whatever, which they did. They did. And, then it became a much, um, how can I say, uh, much lonely, lonelier place. Because now, one, I'm not, at this time, I'm not coming around any family member's house. Um, I'm not coming around uh, any of the people who I thought were friends. Because now they're either, one, trying to take my life, or two, been told you don't even talk to him. Um, so doors started closing everywhere, knocking on doors to ask for a bottle of water at a family member's house. And the, the doors closing, lights turning off, blinds closing and shh. And I'm like, man, I just saw you at the door. Like, I just want some water. Well, use the hose. You know, I could hear that. I'm like, so not only was family judging me, they had their opinion of me. Like, did you really do that? Like, do you really fucking think that I'm uh, my character all the fucking years of my life? Do you really think that's consistent with who I am and what I've stood for? You know, uh, and so each time I made contact with someone who I thought I can call on, who I thought I can go to for safety, water, uh, for love, protection, um, they turned their backs on me because of what they thought and what they read and um, not what they believed and what they knew of me. And so, bam, that was fucking heavy. That was so heavy. Like the wife that I loved so much and I could no longer keep happy. The best friend I had, the career, you know, the career that, I had been 
dedicated to for the last 18 years, uh, another love of my life, you know, my children, the, my three children, I, everything I loved was uh, gone. Like I started losing myself, family, friends, you know, everything, even, even enemies couldn't talk to me, you know, I couldn't even go to the nearest enemy. Um, so here I am on the streets. <laughs> I I had a, I had this huge backpack, a camping backpack, and I filled it. And <laughs> just like, just going with the wind. Do you remember Highway to Heaven? <laughs> that show Highway to Heaven? I was just, I'd go that way and wherever I felt like resting, uh, I'd just be talking to someone and somehow, some way, God provided a means for me to work. Or um, uh, I had I had developed um, a way of communicating with people based on my training experience as a Marine officer, a family man, and uh, uh, these ways of being from, uh, you know, transformation seminars that I had um, went through back then. And I'm very fortunate for that training because I was able to create ways to work, create ways to feed myself just based off of being compassionate, being honest, being um, just being me, you know, I'm hungry. So <laughs> just ask. Sometimes so, all you got to yeah. do is ask. When yeah. you were uh, homeless and stuff like that and living on the streets, you didn't really have to go like digging in trash can type of deals or we ever uh, in well, scenarios where you were really hungry and you just had to settle for some some good question trash so, can or on the fucking street or something i mean yeah what i said to you for the last 50 minutes is very important to understand because this is where and i, I could have said all of this faster but you probably wouldn't understand like now here i am on the streets mom doesn't know i'm never coming back because i want every family member uh, to be far away from me. If no one can find me, if they can't say where I met, then no one can have to lie or, you know, you're hiding him. I don't really know where he is. He never came back. Uh, so now I'm on the streets trying to get food. Um, I couldn't. So it went like this. I wouldn't beg for money. I wouldn't ask for money. Uh, at the time, I, I still had the mindset, I'm going to work for my food and work for everything. Eventually that got so um, exhausting, mentally and physically exhausting is it broke my heart because some people would not, um, or, and maybe it was how I was asking or how I was presenting it. But at a, at a certain point, I, I wasn't able to eat or create money anymore. And so I was having to look for homes that had, um, <laughs> these fruit bearing trees. Okay. There's apples over there. I'm going to grab apples, oranges, put in my backpack and I'm going to pick off the, these trees or this yard where there's that type of vegetable that I could reach through the fence. Um, and then uh, I lost that resource because I was hovering around this neighborhood <laughs> that had fruit bearing trees and uh, all the vegetables, fruits gone now. And um, mind you, I'm, still being offered here sell this meth sell this eight ball sell this teener and um with that 
comes crime because if there's drugs, there's crime. And um, right. if you're using drugs, you're, you're doing crime too. And so here I am, I'm battling this moral ethical mindset. Like, well, I'm in survival mode. What I know, what I've been through, what I've come from does mean, doesn't mean anything here on the streets. It actually makes it more dangerous for anyone to know. So I, here's the thing. Yes, I had to eat out of a dumpster at some point and trash cans. Uh, I learned fast that you don't eat from a dumpster, you don't eat from a trash can, and you, um, depending on how fast you get to a table where someone's about to you know, leave and they're about to throw that food in the trash, uh, that's the only safe time you can get food from someone. Uh, because if you get it from the trash or dumpster or uh, anywhere else that food has expired. And here's one thing about homelessness. After you eat, what happens to a Marine who eats immediately after they eat? What happens immediately after? They got to go to the restroom, right? And uh, yes, you're hungry. When you're homeless, you get hungry. And when you eat, you eat a lot. And uh, that also means you have to uh, make a bowel movement and or use the restroom. And so when you're homeless, I learned, um, and it was a very emotional way to learn, like you can't use the restroom because you didn't buy anything. And sometimes it would take miles of, can I use a restroom? No, get out of here. <laughs> you know, in their own way, they would say, uh, no, sorry, it's for, you know, patrons only. No, get the fuck out of my, you know, establishment one or the other somewhere in between and i either had to learn how to use the restroom in the way out in the middle of the desert or in an establishment that would uh, allow me to or if i was at friend's house or whatever um what does that matter like in my circumstances where my safety was um a concern. One of the easiest ways to kill someone is is when they're on the shitter. I mean, think about it. If you open the door uh, and you're on the on the throne, you're really <laughs> um, the element of surprise is no longer yours. And um, so, if I knew Extremely I was vulnerable, use yeah. If I needed to use the restroom, I was like, okay, who's in this area within the five miles? How far out do I have so I can use restroom? Which wherever I was going to use the restroom, I had to think about how much time I had in case someone came through a door, or if I was out in the middle of the desert, you know, making a little cat hole. Uh, how much time could I see someone once they put their foot from the pavement onto the dirt? How much time I would have to react if someone was coming after me? Sucks to say that I had to think of things like that, but um, I did. And so <laughs> you have to figure out how to find food and you can't just take any food. You have to find a place to sleep. You can't just sleep anywhere. You got homeless that are territorial. You got police officers that beat homeless people, right? There were police officers who put me in the back of their patrol car, took me to the city limits, said, don't come back in our fucking city again. Walk that way. And so you start walking that way in this city and that 
that police department put you in the back of their car and said, get the fuck out of our city. Because police officers know the transients in their city. And uh, when they see someone new, they, they take them to the city limits. And eventually I ended up as far uh, north as San Bernardino, Paso University, uh, down to Temecula, because these police officers, or I, whether I walked or hitchhiked, I was in the outer limits of each city because police officers didn't want you in the city. Other homeless people uh, were violent enough they would either one, steal whatever you had, take your shoes while you were sleeping, uh, or stab you while you were sleeping, right? And then you got police officers who just beat you so you can get, get out of their city. Uh, business owners, get out of, you know, get out of here. You're, you're So really, there's nowhere welcome. I was, I had to sleep in trees. I had to sleep on top of buildings so I can, um, I created a way I can hear someone coming up the ladder. Um, I had wired so that if someone came up the ladder of a building, I could feel it tug my leg and I had enough time to go back down another way. Ridiculous, bro. When you, when I was homeless, first thing in the morning, I needed to be close enough to find a restroom. And so that meant the night before I had to find somewhere to put my head down near a restroom. <laughs> and to be able to be out and about looking for food and work and a place to sleep for somewhere in the night, it would take about five and a half, six hours to find food. And while I was trying to do that, I was also looking for where am I going to sleep next? How far can I can I do these 10 miles that way and be able to put my head down uh, in, in this area based on what I remembered in the city, right? So when takes you about four to six hours to look for food within the same time. You're racing against the sun, mind you. Nobody wants you around. You can't go into businesses, family members, friends, even strangers don't want you around. Police don't want you around. Every church that was providing a food bank is closed. Um, if it was providing a food bank, I was there on the wrong day. And when I finally found an organization that was providing food, shelter clothing it was maxed out it was on the other side of the city on the day that um you know okay i could probably make it there that's another 18 miles that way and i would walk the 18 miles to get there to find out that it's no longer open right it's only for families now and uh that was happening everywhere then i went to the va hospital and the va hospital in loma linda had a waiting time Okay, we'll see you on this date. I said, this is two months from now. Yeah, well, you're not critically homeless. I'm like, what in your mind is fucking critically homeless? You have to be homeless for a year. <laughs> you have to be homeless for a year to be. So um, I found out the criteria for critically homeless. The second month I had been waiting outside of VA Hospital Loma Linda. I had been sleeping on the sidewalk outside of VA Hospital Loma Linda, waiting for, am I, am I up to get a place yet? No, not yet. No, not yet. Almost every day for two months, I was just hovering around. Not yet. And I said, what, what is it? Why can't I get a place? You could put me in a corner. I'll be okay. Well, you're not critically homeless. I found out on the second month. I said, do you know I'm outside here? A military bed? Like, uh, you know, I was taking advantage of the, the little 
cold sandwiches that they would give out for two months, bro. And I was like critically homeless for a year. So I left via Loma Linda and went to downtown LA thinking they, they're, they must have their shit together because the homeless situation there is terrible and they must be doing well. I went over there, bro. It was even worse. It was worse. Um, and dangerous. And, and I had come from being out in remote cities, you know, incorporated cities where there's foliage, there's trees, there's desert, there's, um, at least in the desert out towards, I could kill something and eat it if I needed to, or whatever, <laughs> uh, whatever is out there in the desert to eat. But when you're in downtown LA where there's nothing but buildings, uh, that is a hard homeless life. Like they don't have trees or um, the the heat that radiates off the floor, which is why as a homeless person, I would put cardboard and newspaper, cardboard and newspaper to insulate the heat. Um, man, no dirt. Imagine sleeping on pavement. Uh, and that's why... Uh, you know, homeless get all dried up is because you're sleeping on hot ground or you're in the sun. No one will let you indoors. Um, the state supposedly has a law where if anyone asks for water, you should give them water and uh, you can't give them a hard time. Do you know how many establishments said, I don't give a fuck about that law. You're not coming in here. If you want water, go over there. Well, the law says you have to give me a cup of water. I don't have to give you shit. There's no water police. <laughs> There's no water police. Like, and um, there were business owners that McDonald's said it straight up to me. Then IHOP, you name it. I was like, you, you got to give me a glass of water. The, the law said, the state law says this. I don't have to give you shit. Get the fuck out of, I, you know, get, get out of my lobby now or I'll beat your ass. Managers were saying this to me. And uh, like, damn, uh, how did I react to it? I just, I prayed on it. I just shook my head and just took it in and tried to find a way. I had to find a way to find work. I have done just about almost every hard labor job, sh shoveling horse shit. Uh, cutting trees, digging trenches, you name it. If it could be, if someone could pay you for it, I probably did it, man. And uh, it was, it, it was what I had to do. Um, I was breaking concrete, breaking concrete all day long for weeks at a time to make uh, 80, 60 bucks a day, you know, sometimes a hundred, sometimes 150 a day, breaking rocks, wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow to be covered. And all right, thanks. Here's a hundred bucks. Like, what the? <clears throat> and what did I do? I tried to take that money into a casino and try to flip that money. I'd buy something to eat and try to flip that money. And, and uh, that was a vicious cycle. Try to make money to generate it and try to put it in a casino to see what kind of <laughs> what kind of hope I and yet there were times I, I hit and 
the money went quick though. I got me a place, uh, a little hotel for the night, spent a lot on food, got all my goodies. Uh, and here's the thing, when you have a lot of clothes and you're homeless and you're carrying a big bag, you start getting rid of shit. Like I'll wear that. And uh, as soon as I'm done wearing it, cause I stink now, I'm just, you get rid of it. I ended up, I had three bags and then I got rid of the, I went through all the clothes in one bag. I was down to two bags. Uh, <laughs> it got so heavy. My mind, my heart got so full of pain, hurt, betrayal, like disrespect and my anger, my, I got rid of the second bag and I was down to one bag and uh, I, I must've went months without showering. Um, and then that bag, which is one of those big camping bags was like half full and I used whatever clothing was left and sold the bag. I sold the bag, it was still in decent shape, sold the bag so I could eat one last time. Um, and I was like, oh shit, uh, okay. <laughs> the only thing I had was my clothes and here I am in Temecula. Um, so I, I, I'll back up. I went from Palm Springs to Anaheim, foot, hitchhiking, a bicycle I found, <laughs> a skateboard I saw in the trash can, them, uh, someone who handed me a bus ticket. And I finally got to Anaheim where I had applied for a job about a week ahead. Say, oh, be here on Thursday. We'll give you the job. I'm on my way. I asked everybody, can you give me a ride? I'm finally going to get a job to... <laughs> To change my life, no one uh, was willing to take me out there. So I fucking walked, bro, from Palm Springs to as far as I could. Got to Cabazon. Someone Cabazon was in the uh, casino. I was like, "How far are you going that way? I'll take you up to where like Hemet, the Winchester <laughs> exit is. Oh, fine, take me. All right, later." And I walked from there to Hemet, and oh man, I ended up getting to Anaheim within an hour of when she said, "Be here at 11 o'clock on this Thursday, and I'll give you the job." So, pouring sweat, put the backpack down. They said, I'm here. Reggie, you made it. Said, yeah, but I know I'm an hour late, but I walked. And she's like, you were serious? You actually walked? Well, I didn't walk all the way. I hitchhiked, got the bike that I found on the side of the road to the skateboard because the bike got flattened to the bus. And she's like, I just gave the job away like 30 minutes ago. And I my world went like, oh, I was like, fuck, I should have walked faster. I should have ran. You know, I should have kept on that bike even though the tires were flat. And I, I was no problem. Thank you for, she said, wait, wait, just don't leave yet. Let me figure something out. She goes, okay, the chopper gallery, the chopper gallery, they need someone to polish bikes in Temecula. <laughs> I found out it was in Temecula. I made my way to Temecula. I, I I thanked her. I prayed, and I made my way to Temecula. Same thing, backwards. Um, walking, found a bicycle. Someone who said, "Hey, I'll give you a ride. I'm going that way." All the way to Temecula. I was in Temecula, homeless, um, for a couple months, polishing bikes. And little did they know, I was sleeping in the dumps, the empty dumpster area over there, where they had some huge cardboard boxes. And um, and it was tough. I ended up 
I ended up giving up on the fucking homeless life. I, I called my mom. I said, <clears throat> I can't. I, I'm sick now. I ended up getting sick because I was eating out of the trash. Uh, my mom ended up picking me up. <laughs> she picked me up, took me home. I, I crashed out maybe a couple days. She was driving, driving the car with her head outside the window because I stunk that bad. Um, recovered from all that, and uh, she, she still said, "You can't stay here." Um, you know, at some point she said, "You can't stay here." I said, "I know," and uh, went back on the streets. Had I stayed there, she would have been evicted because of the people who were coming around me and the lifestyle I was living. And so I went on the streets. My older cousin ended up being on the streets with me and we started doing what the people on the streets do. And I'm um, not proud of it, but um, I did what I could to stay as honest and righteous. If I had to steal food, it was from, you know, those ready to eat warmers in front of you know, Ralph's, the chicken that's right there, they were about to throw it away in the next hour anyways. And I would see a plastic bag, a receipt, another plastic bag, and I'd go shopping, put everything in the plastic bag, hold the receipt in my hand as I was walking out to make it look like I had purchased it. And uh, in my mind, I was like, if I go to jail for stealing food, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go hungry or get sick again. I'm not eating out of the trash. I'm not doing that. Um, there was a time where I was surviving off grapefruit for a long time. My cousin and I, he's like, man, cousin, I don't want to eat grapefruit anymore. <laughs> I'm like, as long as this tree is still bearing fruit, we're eating grapefruit, bro. And I didn't realize what grapefruit is uh, good for until this year, right? I found out grapefruit is good for certain things in your body. Yeah. Amazing. There was one time he's like, I'm like, stop crying. This is my older cousin. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I don't want to eat grapefruit anymore. I'm like eating this grapefruit. Like it's um, <laughs> it's the best burger, you know? I said, here, I opened up this magazine. I said, look at that fucking steak right there. Eat your grapefruit and look at the steak. And there we are. He's leaning back like, I can't believe you're making me do this. Uh, I'm doing it too. He's looking at me, I'm looking at him, and we're eating these grapefruits. We had bags and bags of them. And um, there was this moment of silence. Like, I can't believe I'm looking at a fucking magazine, imagining the grapefruit I'm eating is a piece of steak. I said, I promise you, cousin, when we get out of this, I'll buy you a steak. <laughs> I'll buy you a steak. Um, we ended up making our way to Vegas where his kids uh, we're living let's start a whole new life over there because i'm done being on the streets vegas sounds good because we're surviving out of the casinos going to each slot machine trying to collect whatever change was in there like hey i got fucking four dollars out of all these fucking machines and i'm gonna see what this machine can do <laughs> with four dollars there were a handful of times we we really did good like four dollars got us 80 that 80 got us a couple hundred and we were able to feed ourselves. And if we could do that here, imagine what we could do in Vegas. Vegas. <laughs> oh, the security oh, 
systems in Vegas are so sophisticated. You can't do that shit there, bro. And yeah. each of those machines, they're not, they're not working like the ones in these small city casinos. Yeah. Rude awakening. Rude awakening. Um, fast forward. He and I parted ways. He still wanted to continue with doing the street life. And I, uh, I, I wanted, I wanted my kids back in my life. I wanted there, there was a point to where I said, I deserve to be happy again. And, uh, I found the veterans affairs, uh, homeless outreach program. And right there was my, <laughs> like I ascended, I ended up waiting for them in front of a church. I slept on the, uh, the steps of the church in front of the door because the church was closed. But there was a little card that said uh, VA hospital homeless outreach. When I woke up to these two faces, uh, there was a hand reaching out. I said, you ready? Uh, for what? Are you hungry? Come on, let's go eat. And I didn't know at the time they were the outreach program. I was like, yeah, let's go eat. <laughs> I didn't know who they were. And the, uh, Jumped in this car and like, who are you guys? And oh, I'm Tony and I'm um, Rachel. We're from the VA outreach. And oh man, my my world just uh, felt uplifted because from there they put me in the system to get an apartment. All my medical, dental, my medications that I needed for PTSD, you know, everything. Um, they gave me the uh meditation class the recreational therapy um because i have lower extremity injuries they gave me braces to, uh, for my you know my knees my ankles my back tai chi classes <laughs> they gave me work they gave me an opportunity to get my life back and man thank the lord for the va hospital uh and the resources they provided because um, it helped. It really helped. What it just sucks really, that you have to be there for so long before you get that help. That's the part that that's the I killer. To be happy is there's a there's a lot of people that uh, get. In the morning get I woke stuck. up, my fingers were like crunching. You know, I had been so malnutrition, dehydrated. I could hear my skin like <laughs> Pringles. I was like, oh man, he's God's not gonna let me die. I need to. I need to live my life. And so I thought of my kids. Uh, they were my purpose, my my parents, my siblings. Um, I thought of everyone I love and the possibility of finding another career. Um, what really helped me lift my head up off the floor, because I, I was laying down when this idea came to light. I need to live. Uh, Yes, my kids are important. You know, every family member, everything I love is important. It wasn't, I still didn't have the energy to pick my head up off the sidewalk and say, okay, let's fucking do this until I decided. And I said it to myself, okay, I deserve to be happy and live a good life. And that's what gave me my heartbeat. I was like, okay, fuck it. Let's do this. I'm done. Excuse me, sir. Uh, what time is it? It's 10.30. Blah, blah, blah. What what day is it now? It's fucking Wednesday. It's Wednesday, 10.30. Damn. 
been a, I've been sleeping for about five days. Uh, what day is it? The date. So he tells me the date. <laughs> what year? And uh, when he said the year, I was like, "Fuck! It's been three years." I was on the street for fucking three years when I said, okay, I'm done and asked someone and my mind was like, okay, I want to do this now. Three years, three years had gone by, which felt like a month, only three, like I felt like I was out there for three weeks, but it was three fucking years. And uh, I've discovered that I buried a lot of memories. I thought I lost memory, but I've learned that uh, your body has a way of protecting itself when your your body's starting to uh, die, your brain starts to do something to collect good memories and your 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 lots of things in your body start to do protective stuff and uh, memory good memories was part of it. And so I'm getting some of that memory back as I revisit certain areas of my life right now. but three years, bro, three years. Uh, and from there, it still was not easy. It's hard enough that, uh, I can't get a house because I owe the IRS. I can't go on a cruise because you can't get a passport if you owe IRS money. Um, it was uh, difficult getting any credit cards because of all the debt I had incurred. Um, probably like $673,000 of debt to include the house. Um, the car, so I couldn't buy a car. I was walking, bus, bicycle, and when I finally was able to get um, some transportation, it was a motorcycle and uh, I couldn't ride it until I got a license. Couldn't get a license because I need birth certificate, social security number. Can't get birth certificate because you need a license. And so you can't get a social security number without the license or you can't get any of it without money. You can't get money without a job. You can't get a job without the license. <laughs> and so here I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like, any documentation I had was in California. And if I, if it took five and a half hours to drive, it would take me about six, seven and a half months to walk there. I was willing to walk back to get everything because I didn't have a means available to me. So life was tough just trying to get a job. And all the jobs I got was by word of mouth. Eventually I was doing landscaping. And while I was landscaping, he would, my boss would get the call and like, hey, do you want to cut trees after this? Because we're done after this. Yeah, I'll cut trees. When he was done with me, I'd call the other boss and they were all friends. Hey, Reggie's done over here. Do you need him? Yeah, send him over here and I'd fucking paint curbs. After I was done painting curbs, I'm like, anything else, boss? Then I'd go to the restaurant, wash. I've washed dishes so that um, so that I can eat, so that whatever money I had, I can just save it so I can buy a bicycle. Once I got a bicycle, I was doing the same thing. I ended up having like five, five different jobs. And one job paid enough so I could pay the phone bill. One job paid enough so I could eat. And uh, one job paid enough so I could pay you know, the rent for the apartment that the VA hospital got me. And um, it was hard. It was hard because of the pride that I had as a Marine, uh, as a police officer, a family man, 
but no, even though no one out there knew who I was, I was out there 125 degree weather in Las Vegas, digging trenches, working on solar panels. I got a job doing solar panels and I got it because I was painting his curb. He's like, how would you like, are you scared of heights? How would you like to get out of the gutter? I was literally in the gutter. He goes, you like working in the gutter? Who the fuck likes working in the gutter? What kind of job do you have? He's like, well, you could work up there on the roof and uh, do this, that, the other. I said, okay, let's do that. And I did that for a couple of years. And um, it, it's, if it was hard for me to break out of homelessness, being resourceful, having logic, being able to use one job to get to another, using the bike to get to the bus, the bus to get to the, and, um, you know, I was dealing with probation because I got arrested for some things out there. Um, that's probably another episode, but if I had a difficult time putting, oh wait, so I could go to IHOP, register at IHOP and say it's my birthday and get the free meal. If I could get the free meal at IHOP because it's my birthday, I could get on the internet and do it for Burger King. So I ended up going up and down Maryland Parkway and I ran out of fucking birthdays and restaurants using these gift cards. I was like, okay, well, that's one month down. What am I going to do for the next month? And uh, eventually I found, you know, I was dishwashing here. Oh, we need a cook at this place. Okay. So I became a cook over there. So, okay. At least I can space out the days where I'm working at these restaurants and I can feed myself, go a whole day without eating, feed myself, go a whole day or half a day without eating. So I spread out. That's what I was doing, bro. And uh, I ended up seeing a paycheck, a good paycheck, right? I ended up back on drugs because I was like, oh, fat paycheck, got into the casino scene and people I was working with. I ended up becoming a welder, radio frequency welder and um, back on the drugs. I lost the apartment back on the streets. Back on the streets, man. I was like, oh, man, why? Ended up back in the homeless shelter, Salvation Army. Got back on track, got clean, sober, VA hospital, blah, 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 blah. Same resources again. Boom. Another apartment. All right. Life is good again. Back in contact with family, working, 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 working. And um, it got tight. It got tight. I ended up, I ended up doing the same thing. Um, I ended up getting arrested again because mm -hmm. I was using all the resources. I was trying to get out of my circumstances. I just wanted to get back to California. Just want to get back to California. Trying to borrow, trying to do loans and everything that had happened in 2014, started to come back. IRS found me. They wanted to collect um, everything that I am still facing now. And, you know, one at a time, I'm, I'm taking care of this and that one at a time. Um, ended up getting arrested for something. And that's probably a different story. I had to go through the probation, the urinalysis testing. I had to go through all that, man. It was It was so difficult. But I did it. I did it. I um, stayed clean. Uh, well, I'm on five years, five and a half, five years now. 
five and a half years now. I'm going on six, bro. Uh, Since then, I've been able to create two network marketing companies, uh, one that I just left and one that I'm in now for mental wellness. Um, The other side business business I have is in um, life insurance. And I'm in the process of um, a podcast show and uh, life coaching and a uh, security business. The security business, I don't want to give that out yet, but uh, it's a private security business that I'm providing for uh, individual families. And hopefully here soon, I'll be able to push away from this full-time job and do just that, give back to the community. Um, Each of my businesses that I have in place will have a charity that gives back to feeding clothing, housing, and um, uh, employing, getting them work. And so, uh, yeah, I have these businesses and it's all under the umbrella, which uh, my business partner and I um, are creating or have created because I just got the domain or we just got the domain, Reggie at makeanimpactglobal.com. This umbrella of our businesses which she has and I have, uh, and I soon hope to have family members and other friends um, help with personal life coaching, transformation seminars and classes. And with what I have available to me, uh, help those in need of mental wellness, homelessness, uh, prevent homelessness. So my charities and my efforts are gonna go to that. Um, I'm trying to be evidence to show that it's possible. Uh, you can take what wasn't, I I didn't think I was gonna live. People see me, some people see me now, they're like, hey, man, I thought you were in jail or dead. And um, I've taken this rock, this rock, which is now my heart. And now my heart's pumping. Uh, I got a strong faith, energy, love, compassion, and I, I'm giving it back. I'm not trying to be um, anything else but hope for someone, an example to someone like, hey, it's possible. You just have to try and you have to identify why. Why do you want to do it? Because if you don't know why you want to do it, you'll stay in the same circumstance. And uh, once you understand why or all your whys, this is why, 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 why I want to do it. Because once you figure it, once you figure out all the whys, uh, how you do it, is irrelevant. It really doesn't matter how you do it. You're going to make it happen. You just need to know why. And uh, um, you start off, or I started off with praying to God and um, the power of manifestation. When you're when you're saying things out loud, you start to do things. If Because if you're dreaming it, you're thinking it. And when you're thinking it, you're going to start writing it down. When you're writing it down, you start saying it out loud. And when you start saying it out loud, it's just a matter of time someone hears you. And if you heard your dream, which turned into a thought, which became an idea that became uh, something that came out of your mouth and something that came out of your mouth was heard, then dreams dreams do come true. You know, dreams do come true. And what was left was execution. I just had to keep executing every day. And just like Edison, he had that dream. He, oh, that didn't work. Try it again. Oh, that didn't work. And you keep trying and trying. Okay. This door is not going to open. <laughs> Let's yeah. try another door. Let's try another door. 
Okay, well, all these fucking doors up and down the Las Vegas Strip. I was wearing a suit, bro. Homeless, wearing a suit. Nothing. <laughs> Little did I know where I would get uh, a business or a job or whatever it is um, when I was being genuine, compassionate, and just being, uh, just being man of man, just, just being straight up loving, um, not de deceiving, not, you know, uh, not trying to hustle someone, but I was just being, just being me. Uh, and that's when things started to open up. Uh, my cousin came back into my life who offered me a business. Thank God, because that business wasn't there. I wouldn't have been top 10 producer in my second month because I got into an accident, almost killed me, put me in a wheelchair, you know, and, um, when you believe, when you believe in something, whether or not anyone believes in your dream or, uh, or believes in you, as long as you believe it, it, it is possible. It is possible. Um, because if you don't believe in you, who, who else is going to believe in you? Right. right. So that's many different things of manifestation uh, start sourcing people who are powerful, just like yourself, uh, and made it possible for more things to happen. That's where uh, I'm kind of going to fast forward. And so here I am now. Um, I'm in a I'm in a seminars training where I'm towards the end of my journey and creating a brand new version of me. <laughs> and I'm including everyone, including yourself to be a part of this where I'm, I'm making an impact um, by saying that everyone I come in contact gets their chance to do it as well, the way they can. And so everybody wins, everybody wins, everybody wins. Uh, one thing I want to share, the biggest win I want to share uh, is the the gift of smiling. You'd be surprised what I, and that's just one of my breakthroughs, but the smile alone creates a sense of being and a vibration just by smiling. And uh, it has created a lot for me. And if we end this um, segment tonight and you don't get anything out of all that I said, is smile. You'd be surprised what you can accomplish with a smile and how far you can get and what you can achieve by smiling alone uh, because it automatically stimulates a good positive mental attitude, a vibration that's uh, drawing all the things you want, you know, like uh, that's an amazing part of it. Had I been smiling all the times that I was out there on the street, I probably would have created something different, but I was in my shit, uh, you know. Um, and so I'm going to be out there in the many different ways, trying to share this all with the different versions of Reggie I see out there and say, I know how you can fix this. Listen, let me tell you a story. Stories heal, bro. Stories heal. Uh, and it depends on how you're telling the story. I learned in these trainings that if you tell the story from a different perspective, it could be bad. But if you tell a story from the right perspective, you can make some miracles happen, man. Um, yeah. Some dreams true possibilities. So I'm grateful that you have provided me this opportunity to share that because um, people think when you become homeless, it's the end. That's it. And people die out there because of that. But 
if there's someone out there right now who just heard there are many different ways uh, to recover from homelessness and to prevent it, um, sometimes all you have to do is ask, ask. Don't let pride stop you from asking for help. You know, um, it can come, it, it can, everyone's one decision away from homelessness, whether it's your decision or someone else's decision to either let you go or you, you feel like letting go. Uh, one decision away, it could happen to anyone. But um, I tend to dominate a conversation because I have a lot to share and, and a lot to give. But is there anything else I, I can share with you? Um, no, man, I, I really, dude, you know, I really appreciate you always. Of, uh, it's possible. It's possible and uh, empowering. I want to empower people to believe, have faith. Yeah. No, man, I really appreciate you, like, as as always coming on and sh sharing your story with us. And uh, you know what? It's it's not always easy to come up and talk to, you know, and share your story, especially as uh, intimate as your story is. And, and there's a lot of stuff in there that's not easy to share uh, with the, the public. But I really appreciate you coming on for a second time, brother. Um, if you could just hold tight. In the waiting room, uh, make sure yeah. that we got a good recording, and then. Uh, All right. But uh, hey, brother, thank you so much once again, bro. Err. All right. Oh. Uh, this link right here. Oh yeah, let's uh, let me email. let me pull that up one more time. Yes. Just so everybody can see it. If uh, you need assistance, you know you need uh, ways to, you know, improve your quality of life. Uh, just contact me. If you need to get out of circumstance, contact me. If you need someone to talk to, contact me. Uh, we'll go from there. Um, you don't have to be from a certain demographic or whatever uh, circumstance. I'm available 26 hours, 11 days a week. Uh, my purpose in life now is to help others. And so I finally got the .com and so that I can help everyone who needs it. And, and that's uh, Reggie at making an impact at, is it, was it? Reggie global. at yeah. So uh, I can only help one at a time, but it's a start. It's a start. Hell yeah. All right, brother. Thanks, Thank Brian. You once again, you. Reggie. All right, brother. All right. Hold tight. Okay. All right, friends and fam, that's going to wrap up another great interview. We love Reggie. Uh, he's got, you know, an inspirational story. As you guys heard, you guys if you know find yourself in a really dark place you know maybe you're you're on a verge of being homeless or maybe you are homeless uh you know don't lose hope there's you know ways to get out of it and especially nowadays reach out get the resources you need you know and once again if you're struggling with any kind of mental health issues there's always 988 and press one and uh, that should get you some help that you need but i appreciate each and every one of you guys for tuning in watching Wherever it is you may be, until next time, err.